Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. I, uh, we're in the middle of a series called Unstuck, and uh, it's not a, like a life lessons or a self-help series. It's, a, it's a, a series, I feel, about spiritual formation. And um, we, we want to be formed by uh, the Spirit in this season. We want to think about the last year and how challenging it's been and begin to think about what it means to come out of that. Amen? So um, today we're going to speak about purpose, from a blurred to a clear purpose. Let's pray. God, we, we, uh, you're here, you're in our midst, your, your spirit is among us, your spirit is in us, and today we want to receive from uh, your word. Uh, we want to hear you, and we don't want to just be hearers of the word, but we want to be doers of the word. And so today, we, we, we believe wholeheartedly that we were created for something. We were made to attach ourselves to something bigger than ourselves, something glorious, something wonderful, something eternal. And so today, would you help us align um, our own vision for our lives with your purposes? Would you even curtail the ways in which we may want to um, go our own way and do our own thing, um, to, to live a life that is um, focused on self, focused on what we want, and to instead align ourselves with you? Would you give us the strength and the courage and the boldness to do that um, even this morning? Amen. So I found myself, uh, after the COVID-19 hit, feeling very discouraged. I remember at times sitting, you know, months into the pandemic and not being able to meet as a church, not to really be able to meet with close friends, uh, to really be isolated in the, the place that we live with my family. Our kids were at school at, at, at home, and I just felt like, what am I doing with my life? Like, that was the question I asked. Like, my job doesn't make sense anymore in light of everything going on. Uh, like, what are we doing? We're in this big city, this amazing city. All the reasons that you want to live here are essentially taken away from you. And you start to ask the question, what am I doing with my life? And that's not an uncommon question. In fact, people will ask that question on a much bigger scale. I was asking it like my day-to-day life, it seemed seemed so redundant. Like It felt like Groundhog's Day. Like, have you ever seen the movie, right, where it's just like over and over and over the same thing happening? But we ask that question on a bigger scale as well, don't we? I remember as a teenager or as heading uh, where I could have gone to college or I could make other decisions in my life, and people asking me, well, you know, what, what is your the calling? What are you going to do the rest of your life? What are you going to do to make your life, you know, matter? Like, what's, what's your plan for your career? What's the plan for college if you're going to college? What's the plan for, for, uh, for relationships and all this stuff? And I remember feeling overwhelmed by that question. What on earth does it mean to make that, like answer that question when you're 18 and now I'm 38 and I still ask the question, what does it mean to answer that question? What is my purpose? What am I going to do with the rest of my life? And this passage in Ephesians is really the summary, it's like the climax of what it means to live a life worthy of the calling we received in Jesus Christ. And the structure of this passage 
really helps us understand what Paul is trying to say. So I'm gonna do this today, it's a little bit different. I'm gonna give you the structure of what's happening and then we're gonna go back to the beginning and work through it. Sound okay? All right, so here's the structure. The beginning at verse 15 says this, be very careful how you live. And it goes on to say, by, it's contrasted by three not but contrasts. Not but. So this is what it says. Not as unwise, but as wise. In verse 15. In verse 17 it says, not as foolish, but understanding the Lord's will, what the Lord's will is. The third one is not drunk, and the NIV says instead, but it could also be translated but, instead, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18. And then verses 18 through 21 is supposed to be one run-on sentence by the Apostle Paul. He likes to write really long sentences. And they've been broken up so that it makes more sense to us, but it's really one big thought. And essentially what it gives is five results, five results of you living life in the Spirit, living a, a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And those are speaking to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's number one. Number two is singing. Number three is making music. Number four is giving thanks. And number five is submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so that's the structure. These are the results of living a life filled by God's spirit. And so I think that we can start looking at verse 15, and it really describes why living with purpose is important. Paul is saying that we need to be careful with how we walk. That's a literal interpretation, with how we live. Do it with precision. Do it with close attention. And I think what Paul is just trying to get across is that your life, the decisions that you make every single day, matters to God. That there isn't, a, uh, there isn't like a life, a, a day that goes by that is supposed to be insignificant, that's supposed to not matter at all. We're supposed to live with great intentionality, with great precision, with paying close attention. The choices you make matter to God. Verse 16 uh, continues and explains this. He says, making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity. Our lives are supposed to be lived in, this, in a way that we are making the most of every opportunity. That we're supposed to use our time well. The, the actual, you could say, is like to buy up every, every opportunity. Time is going by and you can waste it with evil or you can use it for God's purposes. So when Paul writes that the days are evil, that can seem like a strange, like what is Paul saying? Essentially, he's just saying is that the presence of evil in the world is real. And that you can essentially live your life and use your life for God's purposes, or you can waste them. Or you could even use them for uh, Satan's purposes if you chose to do that. And then verse 17 kind of repeats this with different words, and it says, to be wise instead of foolish, so that you can understand what God wants you to do, like God's will for your life. And wisdom is really important because wisdom is not just theoretical knowledge. It's not just facts. It's about being able to make the right decisions at the right times when, when it matters. It's about making uh, good decisions when you're presented with a good option and a bad option, or you're presented with a lot of options that are good, uh, being able to discern what is the direction that you're supposed to head. Don't be foolish. And our goal really ultimately, Paul is saying, is to do the Lord's 
will. And so Paul is emphasizing again and again, don't waste your life. Don't live foolishly. Don't waste it doing frivolous things. What is the, like the, the purpose and meaning and significance? And so then I start to, like I'm a type of person that's an achiever, right? This is like the nature. I read that and it makes me really feel bad anytime I like watch a movie, you know? Because I'm like, oh, I'm not living very intentional right now. Or like I'm not, I'm not accomplishing anything for God. It, you can, it start to kind of get in your head a little bit, right? Like, well, I need to live with more intentionality. I need to be more focused. I need to be more disciplined. And it can be just like this overwhelming sense of like, I need to do more. And I don't think that Paul is necessarily saying that. I think he's talking more about intentionality. But the, the truth is, is how he describes an intentional life, a life worth living, is very simple. It's a simple purpose. And it happens in verse 18. It says, life in the spirit. If you want to live a life that matters, if you want to live a purposeful life, you are in the will of God if you are living life in the Spirit. That is the purpose of life. So when Paul writes, do not get drunk with wine, we're kind of confused because like, we see instances of people drinking wine, people, uh, you know, Jesus is the Lord of the wine when he creates all the wine for the wedding feast. Uh, what is he talking about? And, and first of all, I'd be immediately clear. Maybe there was a problem among Christians like there was in the church of Corinth. Maybe uh, Paul was trying to push against some of the pagan cults that viewed drunkenness as a means to get unity with the Spirit. But probably Paul just wanted to give a warning against a lifestyle that will, that will essentially waste what you're doing, the life that God has given you. He's, he's, maybe he's trying to provide us a contrast of what the control, the alcohol, if you can give your life over to consistent drunkenness, comparison to the control that the Spirit can have on your life instead, which is his real interest. Essentially, he's saying constant drunkenness is a wasteful life. And, you, and I think he just uses this as an example. You could think of something else. Constantly watching Netflix is a wasted life. Constantly uh, working on your tan is a wasted life. It's not bad, but like constantly, right? And it's a waste of life without God. So this contrasting command is, Jesus is saying, for your everyday life, the day in, day out, maybe there's like, you know, like we're gonna talk about the bigger picture in a minute, like how do you make decisions on the big areas or like what is God calling you to do in your life? But like every day, you are in the will of God if you are being filled with the spirit of God. And that should be our focus. The possession of the Holy Spirit is the true mark that you are a follower of Jesus, that you are a Christian. And this can be a little bit confusing because I think when you hear someone say you need to be filled with the Spirit, you might ask the question, do I not have the Spirit? But the Scriptures seem to be pretty clear that when you trust in Jesus, when you give your allegiance to Jesus, that you receive the Holy Spirit at conversion, when you trust in Jesus with, with your life, but that, it's, that it is possible to suppress the Spirit. Is that not true? Where you can kind of just do your own thing and the Holy Spirit, that, that, that still small voice of God in your life, the convictions that you have can begin to be pushed to the side. 
But, so maybe a better way to understand it is the way it's described throughout other places in the Bible where it says that you can be filled with grief or you can be filled with joy or you can be filled with knowledge. In Acts 5, Ananias, remember the guy that said he gave all of his money, that he sold his property to, to the uh, apostles, but he only gave half of it and he lied to them and they said you lied to the Holy Spirit? The, the, they were said he was actually in that moment that Satan had filled his heart. And so there's a way in which you can be filled even if you possess the Holy Spirit, that you can have a greater sense of what that is in your life, a greater uh, consciousness of the Holy Spirit, a greater influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But we also have to be careful in that it's that you somehow have power over how the Holy Spirit moves, that you don't control the Holy Spirit, but you can receive the Holy Spirit's influence and power in your life. So Paul is encouraging us to live a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will inform us and empower us. And the thing that's neat about this is none of Paul's letters are just for individuals. They're written to a church, right? And so when, when Paul says that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that's plural. It's not singular, and so the whole point is that the church, the community of believers, the people of God need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be continually filled with God's power and presence. We're not controlled by anything else but by the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to give the results. Okay, well, this is what a life looks like to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And so I'm always thinking when God uh, like says, you know, you need to live with purpose and you need to have those things, that these are gonna be like laborious things. There's gonna be heavy burdens. And sometimes they are. Sometimes there's gonna be suffering, there's gonna be pain, there's gonna be difficulties, there's gonna be challenges in our life. But it's interesting that he chooses these five things, these five examples, these five results of what it means to live in the Spirit. And three of them have to do with singing. I always think that's funny because I know there are people that come to church and they hate the singing portion. You know, like there's people, I know people that intentionally come to church 15 minutes late. I'm not gonna name any names so they don't have to participate in the singing. Yet Paul says the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is uh, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing, right? Why? Why would that be the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Why would singing have anything to do with that? I think it's because there's just this overwhelming sense when you're filled with the Holy Spirit of the joy of the Lord, right? Of, uh, of this desire to praise the Lord for what, what, uh, what, what the Lord has done in our lives, and it's not, and I think sometimes we read into that, well, this must be like, a, like an emo, emotional response or this must be, you know, and it is, in some regards, it's part of your emotions, but it's a whole, it's your whole self, right? It's the intent of your heart. It's the longing that you have. I can't wait to praise the Lord. I can't wait to sing the praises of what God has done in my life. It's a natural expression of the joy that God brings into a person's life. Praising God is both instructed and part of what it means to worship, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not surprising that when you sing, you experience like a fullness of, of God in your life. You experience like an emotional response. You experience um, faith. You experience all these things if we're focused on what we are doing. The next thing he says is giving thanks. 
a result of being filled with the Spirit is, is a thankful life. A life that is um, full of gratitude for what God has done. And that's so true. Like people that you know are, 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 are walking with Jesus, aren't they people that are thankful? Aren't they people that can't help but shout the praises of God and what God has done? That they see the good happening all around them, even in the midst of the evil, that they see how God is at work, how they see um, you know, the goodness of God even in difficult situations. So those that will, are filled with the Spirit will give thanks. And the last one is perhaps the most odd of all, but it's supposed to go in this section. People led by the Spirit submit to one another. I think many people are probably a little offended by the word submit today. That's been used to do a lot of damage in the church. It's, it's been done, uh, used a, a lot of damage in our society as a whole. And I think that what we often think of the word as submit is this idea that you become passive, you become weak, uh, and you're dominated by like this almost like negative self-image that you're giving up all your control and all of your free will in order for someone else to essentially um, be over you. And I don't think that that's what Paul is intending here. Uh, in fact, I'm quite certain I think that what Paul would, would argue is that we do do that to Jesus, that we do like literally give up our freedom and our control to be led by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But when it says that we are submit to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, notice that it's not that you are so supposed to all submit to me. It's that we are all, everyone in this room, if we're part of the church, are to submit to one another. What a fascinating way to think about community, about belonging to a group of people. That we are to arrange ourselves under other people. That we are to think of others better than ourselves. He asks all Christians, all people, Men and women, whatever race, whatever background, whatever history you have, no matter the sin that's happened in your past, you are to submit to one another, that those people, and they're supposed to submit to you. And the image that we're supposed to see is this, is this submission is important to the New Testament writers because it describes the self-giving love, the humility, and the willingness to give up of your own life for other people. That's the image of the church, right? Christ dying the death that we deserve so that we might be free, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have community with God and one another. Neither Jesus or Paul was a weak person, and yet they submitted themselves to God and to others. Submission is a strong and free act. It's the decision that you make as an individual person, as a strong person, based on real love for the other person. And submission is nothing more than a decision about the relative worth of another person, to say that this person is valuable, this person is important, this person is, is um, worth me sacrificing my life for. Serving them instead of being served myself. And when we do that to one, for, for one another, that's when the goodness of God, that's when the, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Or we already are filled by the Holy Spirit that allows us to do that, and that's when we see the fruit of the gospel in our lives, I should say.
So I, I think we often put so much pressure on ourselves to try to determine what is the will of God. People ask that question a lot. And I think it's a simple answer. It's just the pursuit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You wake up every day of your life and with the sole focus and the sole purpose is to glorify Jesus with your life. To receive what the Holy Spirit is doing. To listen carefully to what the Holy Spirit is prompting to you to do in your life. Sometimes we'll say like, obedience to Jesus is the will of God. If you're being obedient, then you are in the will of God. Then you are doing what God would want you to do. And those bigger questions, though important, are not primary, probably. I think this is. The purpose of our life is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The purpose of our lives is to, uh, to, to, to um, experience God in our lives. And that's a joy. That brings thankfulness. That brings about a singing. <laughs> that brings about sacrifice for one another. But I do want to speak a little bit about those bigger questions. Like how do we know what, you know, people talk a lot about calling. People talk a lot about big decisions in life. How do we know what to do, what God's calling us to do in our, like the larger trajectory. That's why I think about it. It's like a trajectory. What, are, what am I supposed to do as a trajectory in my life? I know I'm supposed to live this way every day, but what is God calling me to do like in, a, in like the long term and the big and I don't know if I can answer that for every person, but I, I think there, there are a few things that are really um, interesting and I think we should take into account. I was reminded of this story this week from Isaiah 38. And if you've read Isaiah before, you've probably heard of King uh, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, uh, Isaiah hears a word from the Lord, he's a prophet, and he goes to Hezekiah and he says, sorry bro, but your life is coming to an end. You better get your affairs in order. You're going to die soon. And Hezekiah weeps and is sad and is uh, disappointed and cries out to God. And for whatever reason, God decides to to change that, that path and tells Isaiah, go back to Hezekiah and tell him that you've been given 15 more years of life. So can you imagine this? Like the, the prophet of God, like right, the, I mean, Isaiah is one of the, the major prophets in the Old Testament. What he has said is, is come forth and it's, it's a thus says the Lord kind of thing. He comes to you and says, you're gonna die. There's nothing you can do about it. And then all of a sudden you got 15 more years. Can you imagine that, what would happen in your mind and, and how thankful and excited and, and um, what that would look like? And I think that that drew up some questions in my own mind as I thought about that. This is a little bit dark, so just bear with me for the question. But it's like, have you asked God, if God asked you to give him reasons why he should let you live for 15 years longer, what would you say? I started thinking about, like, if I had 15 more years, I knew that, like, or I had to, like, tell God, this is the why you need to give me 15 more. This is why you need to give me more years to my life. What would I, what would I say? Or if God looked at the last 15 years of your life, would God be eager to give you 15 more? And I think the question that I, I think when I think about that is, is, okay, 15 years or like the larger trajectory of life, 
how am I going to shape my life? How am I going to cultivate a life that um, is filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm following what God would want me to do? How am I going to use the, the, the years and the, the months and the, even just the days ahead um, to follow Jesus? And so I think we gotta start thinking about the, the long-term too, not just the short-term. I think the short-term is just, like I said, this, it's just in a, it is the long-term as well, but just like living life full of the Spirit. But I think sometimes what we get caught up in is, okay, what does God want from me? Where am I supposed to be in 30 years? All those things. And I think that that's a question that we have to address. And I think that there's a couple things that I've picked up from Scripture and just from other Christians that are really, really important. I want to share these with you today. The first thing is that we can get off track trying to follow other people's lives, like God's plans for their life. Um, For some reason... Many of us want to live someone else's life. We want to uh, have their house or their job or their spouse or their friendships or their relationships or their intelligence or whatever it is. And I just think about the passage when, when Jesus is speaking to Peter and John, you know, on the beach after he resurrected from the dead. And he tells Peter... Hey, Peter, you're going to go and you're, it's going to be really rough for you. You know, you're going to suffer and you're going to die. And he looks at John and he says, well, what about John? <laughs> I want, and he says, well, John's going to be fine. You know, he's going to live a long life. He's going to go to an island, which sounds pretty nice. Uh, he's going he's to have a vision about Revelation. He's going to write all these really great books. And Peter's probably thinking, Can I get some of that? You know, like, I know John's your favorite, but can I, like, come on, right? And so many of us are caught up with a vision for life that is somebody else's. Um, It's easy to do that. And I think it's really hard to find what God would have you to do until you're able to uh, not try to copy someone else's. Not to be jealous of what someone else has. I think the second thing that you can be confident is in is that God will prepare you for what he's calling you to do. I think sometimes we think that all of a sudden God's going to be like, I'm springing this on you. But a lot of times our experiences and our, uh, whatever's been happening in our life up to that point prepares us for whatever we are being asked to do in that moment. And that can be hard things or Really great things. Um, we lost a, f- a friend uh, the last year of college. was one of our, Sarah and my closest friends. Um, and she passed away. And her, uh, her dad, f- because of the exposure of this death, it became, he had a, a great deal of opportunity to be able to speak to the loss of his daughter on television, in all different places. And, and, and he said this, and I was sitting with him one time, he said, leading up to this experience, I don't know why, but I read five books about suffering. And our sermon, our pastor in our church did 10 weeks on how to deal with suffering. And he said, isn't that interesting that God has prepared me for this moment even though I never would have wished it to come, right? Even though like this is the worst thing that I can possibly imagine, 
God has been preparing me for this. And, and I, I hope that that's not what God's preparing me for, right? It's like that type of suffering and disappointment and hardship. But it is fascinating that he could see that perspective that God was preparing him for what he had to deal with in his life and how the tragedy that he was going to experience. And that his ability to process out loud and to be honest and, and share the, the, how difficult and how hard this is and, and to try to have faith in the midst of it had impacted Hundreds and thousands of people because of his obedience to God, because of God's preparation. And the last thing I would say, um, that God often will call you in your life to things that you're actually passionate about. I think so often we think that God's call in our life will be to, um, you know, you're a terrible painter and now you have to be an artist, you know. Where do we get this mindset that God's just going to call us into something that we're like incapable of doing, that we don't have any passion about, that we don't have any joy in? There'd be times like I don't think that my friend, the example I just gave, like he wanted to suffer like that. There may be situations like that. I'm just saying, like your passion and your burden and the things that like you're drawn to and that you love. Don't you think that God would align His purposes and His will for your life in those ways with the ways in which He's gifted you and made you and and designed you. And passion can sometimes get us in trouble, but sometimes you can think about it in a, in a different way. It's like, what's your burden? Like, what do you care for? Like, what is, is heavy on your heart? And when I say burden, it's really important because I think uh, passion can come and go and burdens can come and go, but what has stuck with you for years that you just have to fix? I remember a professor in seminary. For some reason, I thought I was supposed to go and get like a PhD. And I didn't realize that, number one, I wasn't smart enough to do that. And second, um, I, didn't, I shouldn't have done that. I, I remember I, I, I was talking to this professor before I graduated, and, and I said, well, do you think I should try to do this? Should I, should I pursue this, this next degree? And he goes, is there a question that you just have to answer? Is there something in the Bible that you just can't go forward unless you have the answer to? That you just can't live without the answer to that question? And I said, no. And he said, then you should definitely not try to go get a PhD. And I thought, oh, that was kind of harsh. But uh, he's like, you're going to spend the next three to five years in your life for something that you don't have a burden for? That you don't have a passion for? Just to get a degree? that you're probably not even qualified to have, you know? like, But we do that, don't we? We assume that certain things that we need to do because they just seem good, but they're not really our passion, they're not really our burden. How could someone like me get a PhD when I don't like to write papers? That's the whole thing, right? He's writing constantly. And so I think that God will align your passions and your giftings with his purposes. And some people might say, well, I don't know if I have any burdens or I don't know if I have any passions. And I'm gonna say this very cautiously because I don't know if it's 100% always true. But I would say if you don't have any burdens and you don't have any passions, then that's probably a sign that you don't have much life with the Spirit. Because I think when the Holy Spirit is filling us, we can't help but have burdens and passions that align with what God would have in the world. We can't help but have this like mindset of kingdom where you start to feel what, what, the way that God feels about 
uh, our neighborhood and about the people around us and about our families and about our uh, you know, kids and about our spouses and about our friends. And so you start to have burdens and cares and things that, that, like, that, that you're passionate about and that you're burdened about because the Holy Spirit is invoking those things in you so that you can participate in the kingdom of God. And so if you don't have a passion, if you don't have a burden, maybe you need to focus first on being filled with the Holy Spirit in your day-to-day life. Don't worry about the trajectory. Don't worry about the 10 years down the line. And just center yourself on receiving the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit each day, of being filled to overflow, of singing songs in church and submitting yourself to others in the community. And as you do that, as you begin to be filled, you will start to have these burdens and passions in alignment with what God would have for you. You start to receive wisdom. Amen? Amen. I'm gonna close. Let's pray. God, we ask for this community to be one that uh, not just certain individuals have uh, the Holy Spirit in like this profound way, but that we would all be filled with your spirit. We know we have it, but we can suppress your spirit. We can, uh, we, we can sub- subvert your, uh, your Holy Spirit in our hearts and our minds. And so God, we'd ask that even today that we would uh, give our full allegiance to you, Jesus, as Lord, that we'd hand our lives over to the, the power of the Holy Spirit to do uh, whatever it is that you're asking us to do. So God, as we live a life that's um, filled with your Holy Spirit, would you give us burdens and would you give us passions and would you give us gifts that align with those things? And God, we ask that you would use us in significant ways. I pray that there would be people in this room that wouldn't be longing after someone else's life or someone else's calling or someone else's role in the kingdom of God, but that they would look at their own lives, what's happened to them, uh, who they are, how you've made them, and that they develop burdens and passions and trajectories that would align with what you would desire for their lives. I know this last year has created a, a lot of blurred purpose. So God, would you help us to be unstuck And would you give us clarity? Would you refocus our minds? Would you help us to say no to things that we need to say no to and yes to the things that you're desiring us to step into? Would you give us wisdom to know what those things are? Would you help us not to waste our lives but to align ourselves with your spirit? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.